0: hello there and welcome 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 i'm sarah from sarah Furuya coaching and this is the legends podcast i believe there are many many ways to lead a life and everybody has stories and i want to tell them and share them these legends are a collection of people who i have found during my 20 years in tokyo and before All of them are brilliant people, and when I became bored with reading another billionaire's biography, I thought, I want to tell the stories of the people who I meet who are absolutely fascinating, but you won't see on your regular podcast interview. They have overcome obstacles, both systemic and internal. And we cover all kinds of things from creativity, grief, racism, business, disaster, loss, trolling, infertility, farming, eating disorder, ecofeminism, and more. We have elite athlete, people who live on Zen temples in remote parts of Japan, BBC newscaster to Taekwondo champion. Please enjoy these amazing stories from what they've overcome, from what they've built, from what they've created, from the way that they talk. I'm just delighted thinking about it. So please get stuck in and enjoy this next legend. Hello, 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 and welcome everybody to this, um, our Legends podcast podcast. I believe there are many ways to lead a life and everybody has stories and I want to tell them. And today we have the amazing Gretchen Miura with us. Hi Gretchen. Hi Sarah. Lovely to see you. So it's gonna be a really interesting one. And um, we are nearing a year into the, COVID, um, the COVID-19 crisis. I think this time last year, we were all going, what's going on in China? Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then little by little the story started unfolding in a way that I don't think any of us could have predicted at the time so we're recording this in February 2021 Um, Gretchen and I have had an interesting year uh, (laughs) to say the very least and um, we've been working together this year and we'll be working together again this coming year on some exciting things together. And um, yeah, I'm really, really delighted to, to introduce you here. This will be going out, I think, in March. So this is our spring or, or late February. Actually, maybe it's next. Maybe it's maybe it's February. I think it's next week. Oh, <laughs> this is this is real life, real life unfolding in front of us. OK, so let's get into it. About Gretchen, Gretchen is a mindfulness teacher, an avid maker and a mother of four. Originally from New Jersey in America, Gretchen lives in Northern Japan on the Ogre Peninsula where she and her husband run a Zen temple. She hosts mindfulness retreats, classes and workshops in English, as well as traditional ceremonies and activities for the local community. She sells her handmade bento bags, face masks and accessories at her online shop Sorabento. She is living a life focused on creativity, belonging, and connection, and you certainly belong here, and I can't (laughs) wait to connect with you today, Gretchen.
1: (laughs) Oh, likewise. I've been looking forward to this conversation. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Me too, me too. All right, so let's get into it. So why don't you tell us about your your ancestry, your childhood, and your upbringing?
1: Okay, well... um, As you mentioned I was born and raised in New Jersey which is on the east coast of America it's sort of about an hour outside of New York so Mm -hmm. everything sort of rotates around New York Mm -hmm. Um, but I was in the suburbs so it was just a very um, green sort of neighborhood type of sort of idyllic childhood like we had blocks with um, a lot of friends there and just sort of an easy easy, slow-paced life. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm the youngest of four. And uh, my parents are from the Midwest. So my dad grew up in Ohio. My mom grew up in Indiana. They met in college at Purdue University. And both families have a lot of German ancestry, Irish ancestry. My maiden name is Zachman, which is very Uh German. Yeah, and of course, my first name is Gretchen, which Uh is also very German. So um, both of those families, have a lot of German ancestry as well as Irish. I also was raised Catholic. Uh-huh. I went to Catholic school, wear a little like Catholic uniform. Yeah. Um, so my parents moved to New Jersey for work. So mm-hmm. that's how we got to the East Coast. Mm-hmm. Well, most of their sort of cousins and family, some of them stayed back in the Midwest and then some moved down to the DC area. Interesting. So um, it's
0: the Garden State, right, New Jersey? So this right. good, this good suburban <laughs> lifestyle, I can really conjure it up in my head.
1: Well, it's funny because you're British, so you don't know that New Jersey is sort of like um, the butt of a lot of jokes in America. I know. Okay, yeah. so it's yeah, like- I get it. Uh, yeah, so everybody makes jokes about what turnpike exit do you live off of, or they fly into Newark Airport, and then they think that's what all of New Jersey looks like. And then of course, people in New York totally look down at people in New Jersey, right? But it's absolutely a beautiful state. We have the shore, which is what we call the beach, and it, you know, runs the whole length of the coast. It's just absolutely gorgeous. And then inland, it really is this green sort of rolling hills, a lot of history. Um, uh, because, you know, George Washington had his troops there during the Revolutionary War. There was a tree in our town that, um, was an oak tree that was there before like they said dated before Columbus so there's just a lot of history a lot of beautiful old buildings so it's actually a beautiful place and everybody who's actually been there knows that but still people tease me from being yeah sure sure I kind of think of it
0: as a little bit like um, Liverpool actually Um, a port town that then really really got um, hit hard in the 80s Mm. and um, that kind of that kind of feeling as well great and what was the what was your experience of being raised a Catholic?
1: Yeah, I had a positive experience. Okay. Um, my parents have a deep faith and they are sort of laid back and progressive at the same time. Mm-hmm. So it was sort of a big part of our life. I, like I mentioned, I went to St. James school, which was attached to our church. Um, we went to church every Sunday, um, but it didn't feel oppressive in any mm-hmm. way. It just sort of felt like it was a big part of our life. Um, I didn't totally connect with the religion, like it never really resonated with me. And my parents really accepted that. So as you're coming into your teenage years, it just yeah. never really landed with me. And I never felt that they sort of forced it on me. So I could sort of witness that it was something really meaningful and important to them, but it didn't totally have the same effect for me. And one thing it did provide was a tremendous amount of community. Yeah. You know, we had a lot of friends at the church, um, I could walk there, I knew the priest. I was comfortable going there. So it just provided a lot of safety. And then um, you and I have talked about this, but I'm the youngest of four. And when I was five, my brother, who was the second oldest, he died in a car accident and his name is Chris. And I do know that the church was just a profound source of support for my parents as well as me. Mm -hmm. Um, So, for me was yeah it was a very positive experience to be part of that community and that church growing up yeah
0: yeah i i have to admit that i really miss that about church Mm -hmm. really miss i think sometimes when we get to this age we end up just being around people who are similar age similar values similar style to us apart from us obviously living in japan but then even then you create that but um I really miss that kind of access to like the oldest people in the community and yeah. the youngest people and all the rituals that go around that and the, the support systems and, you know, the babies, the old people, the priests, the the lay people, everything. It was, you know, I, I used to give out the bread and wine at church.
1: okay. Okay, like yeah, you were raised healthy like, as well, yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 I was like yeah. that. I wasn't fancy, I wasn't like pious or anything like that. Mm. I was just really into the community and wanted to be a priest age 17 oh wow well Margaret Thatcher was the prime minister I was like we're on (laughs) on. (laughs) wow the queen was the queen so both of our heads of state were like women I was like excellent I shall be a priest it's only a matter of time before Pope JP2 comes
1: and says women you're in Oh, my God. Well, we're still waiting. Was, Maybe we <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, wow. What a wonderful way to grow up feeling so empowered, you know, oh, and, yeah. and uh, we, we unfortunately are much slower in America having women role models at that level. Yeah. But still, we've got Kamala now. So now we're getting there. We're getting there. It's very, very exciting. Yeah. But, uh,
0: yes. Okay. So let's get back into it then. So you just mentioned there that age five, um, mm-hmm. your brother was killed in a car accident. Mm-hmm. Um, if you if you feel able to talk about that, I know we've talked about it quite extensively. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's an awful lot of. Um, I don't. It, it's it's a sensitive thing to talk about in terms like this, but there's a lot of interesting. Mm. not the right word, but kind of interesting things that come out of an incident like that. So let's get into it. I just think I'm holding that little girl on the stairs in my heart right now. So
1: let's- Yeah, well, thank you, Sarah. I appreciate that. Um, You know, to be honest, I couldn't talk about it for a very long time because it was unprocessed grief. I hadn't really dealt with it. It was sort of trauma that I had sort of trapped inside of me. And so really it's only the last three to four years that I was able to start talking about it. And then even this year, um, I was able to really finally sort of fully properly grieve my brother. And that's actually really opened me up to want to talk about him to want to sort of discover how other people grieve. Um, But when um, you know I was five. So of course I have all of these sort of visceral memories of the night he died. And then there was always this before and after, right? It's like your life just completely splits into halves. Like there's before he died, after he died. And before he died, I I have memories of him, but I always grew up sort of afraid that I was going to lose those memories because they were, they were like, I always felt like they were tissues dissolving in water. You know, I was so afraid to lose those memories. And so I would really hold on tight. And then I have these very visceral memories of, the night he died because, um, I have two sisters. I, my one oldest sister was 18 at the time. My brother was 17. And so my parents had them when they were young, still in college, and then sort of had a gap. I think my mother may have had a couple of miscarriages. And then I think my sister, who's just a year older than me was sort of an oops, baby. And they had, um, me as like a companion, right? It's hard to have like just a little kid by themselves. So there's a bit of a split. There's like a 10 year split between let's say my brother and then my sister. And then the biggest split is between me and my oldest sister, which is 13 years. Mm. So my sister who was only, I think seven at the time and I was five, we were in bed and there was like, a, you know, a ring at the door. And we, just the way our staircase is, we would sort of, we peeked around, you know, like B-b-b-b-b-b- peeked around. And again, this is just my memory. I don't even know how true, but this is the memory I have. My sister and I are peeking around um, the stairwell and there's a priest and a police officer and you just know it's bad. And my parents were at the door and that's this image that's like burned in my brain. And then we went back to bed. I, I always slept with her. I was always afraid to sleep by myself. So I had my own bedroom, but I would always run into her room, regardless, before my brother died. It was just so we always slept together. And we I just remember being like stiff as a board in the bed, you know, sort of petrified, like mm-hmm. something bad's happening and I don't know what it is. And, um, and they must have gone to the hospital. Now, I don't think he had been pronounced dead yet, but they went to the hospital. But what was really beautiful out of this moment is, um, like I mentioned before, with the church, it was just a very loving community. Like my family had a lot of family friends. My brother and sister were in high school. My brother was on the football team. So they just were really, really involved in the Friends And stay with us. My parents had friends stay with us that night, my sister and I. So my oldest sister went to the hospital. I think she was out anyways at a party. And I just remember one of my brother's friends sitting by our bed that night like tucking us back in and just sitting with us. And then, um, and just that safety, you know, that feeling of like, I'm something bad's going on and I didn't know what was going on by the way, but also that sort of sense of love and safety, you know, feeling really like cared for by the community. And then the next morning, um, again, I sort of, the next sort of visceral memory is I'm sitting on my dad's lap My mom's sitting next to him, we're in our family room. I'm sitting with my sister who's just a year older than me. And then my dad is telling me, you know, your brother's died, he's been in a car accident. And just, you sort of peel away from reality because you don't really know what that means. Or, you know, I didn't really know what that meant. And my dad was crying, my mother was sort of shell shock. And I remember like giggling. And laughing because I just was so nervous and scared by it all, and just feeling really overwhelmed and not understanding it. Yeah. And so I have all of these very, very distinct memories from those first few days that are just really, really deeply ingrained. Um, but like I said, there was a lot of love, a lot of support. There were always people at our house. Then we had the church, you know, going through the whole process of the funeral. So there were sort of these sort of markers that you go through it. Um, and I remember at one point just feeling very overwhelmed by all the people, Mm because I'm, I'm very introverted even now. So I love being around people, but you know, you need to recharge and be by yourself. So as a young girl, I went up to my room. I just needed to be by myself. There was tons of people at the house and I had a little record player Mm -hmm. and I put this record on. And it was Raindrops Are Gonna, or Raindrops Are Falling On Your Head by Burt Baccarat, right? Yeah. I put it on and I was just sitting there, you know, with my legs tucked underneath me, listening to this song, sort of feeling what was going on. And then I changed the record to put on a new song because, you know, they were singles. Yeah. And then I stood up and I stepped on the record and I broke it in half. The, the Raindrops Are Falling On Your Head. And that's when the, fullness of the loss hit me. It was almost like this little record, breaking this record, stepping on it, knowing I could never piece it back together. It was like the loss of my brother was sort of in that record. And I just remember being sort of hysterical by myself in the room and it just really, really hitting me. Um, And that was probably within a couple of days of him actually dying. Um, So yeah, I mean, it was, obviously, a very hard thing for a family to go through. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, for me, what became difficult was sort of this story that I started to believe, which was, you're too young to remember your brother, or you didn't understand what was going on, or you didn't really know him that well. And I was just sort of absorbing this from like the ethos, you know, and a lot of it was probably really well-intentioned adults being like, you're fine, kids are resilient, or you're too little, you don't remember him, but you're sort of absorbing all of this, right? And I just want to say here that my parents were amazing parents, like they kept it together. We had a family full of joy and laughter and, Um, I have such deep admiration for them, but I don't think at that time, this was the early 80s, there wasn't really a lot of attention to how are the kids feeling? Right, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Right, and what is grief- Psychologists
0: or school counselors, Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: And there was none of that. So what had happened is sort of, you know, Chris died, we had this tremendous outpouring of support, which was very real, it was felt, but there was no discussing what was going on you know particularly the inner landscape right Mm. and that sort of when you're so young you don't really understand what is death and then i always felt i grew up sort of living death i i learned it through the horror of missing somebody that you love right and that was really traumatizing so i remember like yeah sitting on the steps just willing him to come home You know, maybe he'll come home today. Maybe he'll come home today, just sitting on these little steps waiting for him. Or another time, I remember waking up from a dream. And in the dream, he was, you know, part of the dream. And I woke up and there's this sort of nanosecond where you're still sort of in that dream state and he's still part of my life. And then again, imagine a five or six year old, you're waking up to, oh, no, he's gone. He's not here. And really being flooded with, you know, anxiety or, sadness because it's like oh wow he's gone you know but then not really having any tools to deal with these emotions you know because again there wasn't a lot of focus on how do little kids grieve so I had a very loving supportive family I had a great school and community but I definitely didn't work through some of these deeper feelings of grief and loss and it was confusing for me because I was so little but I was sort of living it so profoundly because it was so real like the, the the reality itself of him not being there every day was sort of just
0: it had opening. its own tangible
1: almost it had its own yeah. so
0: the, the absence of him was would that be fair
1: absolutely and I think you know later on like I said even these last few years I started to realize because I was so young I didn't really have sort of a belief system or language to sort of make sense of it so i was sort of just living it living the experience of losing right. one so in that sense it just became quite, quite intense um so yeah and and then the further we got away from his actual death it just became almost like we didn't talk about him too much um, and like i said it was sort of this whole you know adults in my life are like you're fine Kids are resilient, let's move on. Yeah. Right. And so I just sort of felt a deep loss around that, you know, and a real need to sort of understand what I was going through or what this experience was, but I never really got it. And so it just became sort of this like solidified, you know, tightness. Yeah. You know, how emotional pain does. Yep. You know, I don't think I would categorize it as trauma, but close to this, just sort of a profound pain that never got sort of metabolized I didn't understand it and so it did become something that I had a very very hard time talking about and then of course it sort of comes out in funky ways and you don't know why it's coming out in funky ways. <laughs> yeah, it's true. you know what I mean and yeah. I remember yeah I remember sometimes just being like I'm so angry and I I don't know why and also you would look around and you think well oh, I have everything I have this lovely community and family and I'm so angry you know or I'm so sad and of course you could sort of point to oh I've lost a brother but we didn't talk about it and then um just to skip way ahead we can sort of go back and forth like um about three or four years ago I started to think "I I really need to start healing this this grief this sort of trauma and um I Finally, it was almost like getting the courage up to talk to my mother and father about it. They're divorced now. So I talked to them separately about it. And when I brought this up with my mother, I did sort of say like that was hard not having a space to talk about Chris or not sort of have the space to express my feelings, right? Like I had to sort of hold it in. And she said that her, our family doctor at the time had advised her, you know, don't talk about Chris. You don't want the other kids to feel overshadowed or like he was your favorite. And she's like, I really regret taking his advice. And it was so illuminating for me, though, because I could only bring that up with my mother because I had no anger or resentment with her. Right. It was really just coming to say, hey, this was hard for me. I think you did everything right. But this was hard for me. But even her adding that, I thought oh, I had so much compassion for her because I thought she took the wrong advice, you know, because she had said it didn't really feel right to her. She wanted to talk about Chris night and, you know, night and day, mm-hmm. you know, but she was sort of giving these um, advice from different people, not just the doctor of like, you know, don't talk about him too much. Like it's a new chapter. Move on. It's very Western way of grieving, You know, move on, move on, move on. And um, so it was really nice to have that conversation with my mom and I felt really bad. I thought, oh, this was a mother who was grieving who wanted to talk about her son, but was advised not to. Mm. And then I'm also suffering because I wanted to talk about my brother.
0: There's so many things in there's so much stuff around grief and death. I mean, just a couple of things I've noted here is like when you said like you had this trauma trapped inside of you, it's like the death itself is one thing, but then yes. that's actually a secondary yes. piece that actually that's the thing that needs to be dealt with. And it's so interesting you should say that. And that so that's a second that, that yes. the the thing you just talked about there, that they're not talking about it. But that also has a life of its own that kind of some there's two things here. Then the other thing is at the moment, because of the conversations that we're having so much, I decided I should start to just educate myself a bit more. So one thing I always do is listen to a podcast called Grief Cast, which is about comedians talking about death. So it's got a kind of it's got a lightness to it, but it's also really frank. Um, but I'm listening. Uh, there was a woman on that called Julia Samuel, who's a grief therapy um, specialist. Mm. And I'm listening to her book at the moment, Grief Works which is, it's a difficult read, it's a difficult listen, it's a difficult listen. If you're deep in things, I wouldn't recommend it, but if you're curious or you're ready to go there, because she talks about the experience of her clients, mm. um, and so I'm, for the people who are listening, um, but one thing she says is that there's, um, from a therapeutic stance, it I think it's eight, around the age of eight or seven or eight, mm-hmm where children truly understand the permanence Mm. of death Mm. five I think is a borderline where they start to understand the permanence of death but under that age it's um and and again there's probably different approaches to this in Japan or in in non uh, you know Judeo-Christian um uh lineages but it's but that that's what they've noted from a therapeutic standpoint that under uh, seven five I think is the off. is that kids don't understand the permanence of it so they ask oh oh yes, yeah, so and so is dead so when is he coming back <laughs> that kind of thing so just it, just interesting to note that I don't know if that means anything to you or if you've heard similar
1: well that's what I experienced was that yeah. sort of that gray zone of like why isn't he coming back maybe if I wait for him long enough on this stair he'll come back right or um And that's very um, hard for a parent to watch too. That was the other thing when I brought it up with my father, just sort of also sort of saying, hey, this is the sort of trauma I carried into adulthood. He was like, I had no idea how to care for a five-year-old who fully didn't understand what death was i mean could you imagine losing your child and then having a young child just sort of processing it and not really having the skills to help them right and that brings us to what you were saying which is so spot on it's like in buddhism we call it the second arrow right there's a difference between pain and suffering so pain is inevitable people tend to confuse the two words but we die we age we get sick We break up with people we love. I mean, we, there is pain. A lot of times people use the word suffering but actually suffering is the second arrow. So something painful and horrible has happened. My brother has died. That that's just the truth. Yeah, that's we're all gonna die. He died. The suffering is then how we react and how we respond to it, right? And when it's unskilled, right? Then there's more suffering. Mm. that's all it is but that second arrow is the suffering where the first arrow again can be sort of easily metabolized if you can accept it right and then i would say i think my parents again through their catholicism faith really did have a deep faith and it was profoundly comforting for them because they have this belief system that sort of supports them it really didn't land with me it just never landed and i remember like my dad saying this thing when i was young and I mean, I feel bad for him because again, he's trying to help this child make sense of this horrible loss. And my brother, I guess, liked Captain Crunch cereal. It's like a really sugary cereal. And um, I remember sitting on the kitchen counter and he's like, well, you know, Chris is up in heaven eating Captain Crunch. And I was like, that's so stupid. Like I was like, I didn't say it out loud. And I know he was trying to comfort me like this image of, well, Chris gets to eat Captain Crunch day and night, you know? And I was like, that doesn't even make sense. That's stupid, you know? And so for whatever reason, it just never comforted me, the, the, that uh, faith system, which is probably what brought me to where I am now. Sort of that yearning, that searching, that sort of mm. something inside of you that's like that spiritual quest of like, how does this all play a role? And we've talked about this as well too. Me not really fully having the opportunity to grieve my brother really made me feel a big disconnect you know like the sense of disconnection we've talked about ancestors you know it just sort of severed something very deep because mm. I, I i couldn't make sense of what had happened mm. and that severing was quite a lot of suffering for me ah, so it was the second arrow the second arrow yeah it's so the second
0: arrow. that image is and i think that this is the the when when religion works it is absolute most perfect that's what it is it's like I I feel almost like we're talking about Catholicism and Buddhism here both both religions that have been accused of having kind of obsessions with death but that's it that's it the whole thing is constructed to help us to deal with the daily uh, realities of being a human being and the rituals and all that kind of stuff that helps people to move through things I just you know that, that rich, the, the the first arrow, the rituals can deal with that. And also because people understand that the second arrow is coming, mm-hmm. they, there's also things in place for that too. So mm-hmm. I guess like say in, in, in the Catholic religion, of course, we have like last rites, mm-hmm. which for those of you who don't know what that is, it's when the priest comes in and hopefully before the person's passed, they give them this special ritual prayers that are to help them to move on to the to, I suppose, heaven in that in that regard. And I think if they're able, they're given um communion as well. Um, but I know it's it involves holy oils.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um and um so so these these rituals do, they're all there, they're all in place to to help that transition for the living and the dead. So there's the supernatural side of it, which is. Um, I'm going to switch into my experience with Japanese Mm -hmm. death rituals now, um, which is um, um, that that, um, you're given a certain amount of time. There's there's markers. Mm -hmm. So the the idea is that that person, that the person who dies gets caught between the the next life Mm -hmm. where they ascend um, and the the current life and they're trying to come back. So I remember when my granddad died, my uh, Oji-chan, and we were there and we chanted all afternoon. I remember doing this because my husband kept having to nudge me because I kept dropping off because it was so cold outside and so warm inside and we were chanting um, in Japanese. Um, and I could read it because it's all in kata- uh, hiragana actually. So I was trying to keep along, but kept falling asleep and he was like this, isn't it terrible? But that was to try and help the granddad to move on to, into the next life, but obviously it's for us too. Absolutely, right? that's it, it's too. That's us, and yeah. then that night, my um, cousin Wakana, she mm-hmm. had a dream about Oji-chan, so she wakes up the next day and she says, we've had a dream about Oji-chan, so it was everybody back into the room with the temple and the ashes in it mm-hmm. and chant again. Mm-hmm. Now I didn't get to do that because I had to get a train back to work mm-hmm. from um, hyo but. ken um, and so they chanted and chanted and chanted and it's like it the, the the visualization is that he's looking back going oh don't i don't want to leave you oh my god i'm getting quite emotional yeah. and but we have to help him to move mm-hmm. but actually it's for wakana right it's to help okay. her to to process that too and for all of us and it's just so incredible and then 40 day not 49 days is that mm-hmm. right in yeah, the and um that year you don't celebrate so there's no um cards parties and stuff like that it's very very interesting um of course in the uk i don't know about america we used to until about 100 years ago you would wear black to tell people i'm i'm in the shit i'm i'm deep in that i'm in the arrows whichever one first and second arrows if you were a kid you'd go to school with a black armband on for a certain amount of time so that the teachers and the kids knew this is a special time for this person. We yeah. don't do that anymore. So there's no indicators. I know.
1: Pushed. Um, but we'll we're, to the- We need time, you know, yeah. we need time. Yeah. And I love the markers, you know, we're going to grieve for a year. Of course, there is no timeline for grief. We know that. No. Um, but it's nice to sort of set aside time.
0: Yeah. And in the psychological world we've we've kind of processed that into the seven stages of grief oh, which, is, yeah. which is not a, it's not a line it's more it's like a a, like yeah. that. yeah <laughs> it's a multi-dimensional graph that right, we're, right. We're, but i also just find it i find those things very useful to just go like oh i'm not there's not something wrong with me i'm in whether it be the second mm-hmm. arrow or the first arrow or i'm in the first 49 days or I'm in this place or I need to chant or whatever that is in something that I think we've lost a lot in the kind of more secular world.
1: Yes. Um, yeah.
0: Sadly, um, yeah. um, but is, is alive and well. And I think certainly Japan does it extremely well. I think a lot of countries mm-hmm. and this in this part of the world that's a sweeping statement that I can't I have absolutely no evidence for whatsoever just Mm. do that this whole these kinds of death rituals much better catholicism held it very nicely I think Mm. in that in that regard um but again a lot of that's been sanitized somehow I don't know Gretchen um I want to just return back to there was a story you told me Mm. and I don't know if we're getting out of our lane here but and you know, you don't have to tell it where you were five. And okay, let me remind a bit. First of all, I just want to witness your family at that time and just say what a lovely bunch of people all trying to make each other feel better. Yeah. Everybody just doing their absolute best. You, your dad, your mum, everybody just trying to, trying their very best.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. To
0: look after each other in an unimaginable situation. So there's that then um you told me a story about how you sat on the stairs and people was kind of you always got this you always got this message that you were too young and you didn't understand and to some degree you said that was true on the other hand you said that you did realize at one point that he'd gone Mm. you really really understood it and then you told me a story about maybe about a native american tradition of something i can't remember what it was it was when we were in great flow sometime and Mm -hmm. i don't know if we're kind of veering off our lane
1: here um
0: and you know and something take i can't remember what it was now but
1: i don't know exactly but what had happened is just this past year i sort of tiptoed these past five years getting closer and closer to sort of this not you can just sort of imagine this painful thing yeah. and when I finally got there and this was through many many years of meditation many years of talking about it with my husband bringing it up with my parents um talking to you I even got a grief counselor so I don't want you know it, this was a lot of work to get there when I finally got to sort of this core pain it just f- suddenly felt like I was home it was and I was afraid to get there I thought I was gonna be flooded by I was afraid to really go to that sort of mm, difficult really really difficult pain of losing my brother which is the first arrow let's just say and when I finally got there I felt just so liberated and like I was home and I was sort of held by my ancestors and by my brother. And I'm not sure the language I used when we talked about it. So I may have been referencing something cause there's a poet, this, um, yes. this American poet I like. I have to look it up. Yes. But she was sort of talking about this sort of like um, communication or exchange with our ancestors that just felt very um, liberating and humbling and beautiful and so when I finally got to this place that I was so afraid to really get to and I was so afraid um, to sit with that really deep pain I'd realized that I had sort of been present with my brother I had gone through his death in a really innocent unabridged unbiased point of view because I was so young right Um, so normally it was almost like wow what I'd experienced in those first days in those first few few weeks was actually very pure it was very like I'm accepting what's happening I'm confusing I'm riding these waves of confusion is he coming back is he not coming back but I was fully present which is the whole point of like you know, mindfulness and a lot of the Zen is like, can you be present right now with what is happening? And when I finally got to that place, I thought, oh, I was very, very present with his death. And I had felt I had sort of had one foot in the afterworld and one foot here. And I felt that sort of ethereal time like that, when I think of that time as a very deep time state for me, you know, there's no chronology to it. And I think actually, I probably very, very much was with him on his journey into the afterworld. You know, like I was there with him because you don't, as a young child, you don't have anything, no BS to be like this, or it's their fault, or it was just, you're fully present with it. And then I covered it up, covered it up with years of what I had absorbed of, well, you don't really remember him or you didn't understand. And that was the story I had to let go of. Yeah, that didn't serve me any longer. That was the second arrow, Um, and then when I could finally get rid of that, it was like, wow, I had been present. I don't have to be afraid of losing the memories, you know, that I was holding so tightly onto. It's like they're with me at at all all times, you know. So I do forget the language I used, but I know that's sort of how I felt when I finally could sort of be with that experience.
0: Gorgeous. No, you have just described exactly what what it was, and I think we 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 spun off into talking about some other stuff as well. But that poet, if you could,
1: yeah, I think her name is Joy. I... Her name is Joy Harjo.
0: Joy Harjo.
1: Yeah. will
0: I'll, I'll 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 link to that.
1: Yeah, please do. She's amazing. Sounds
0: beautiful. Um, this is absolutely gorgeous. So this, there's a couple of things. All I can think of is Japanese words to describe this now. So I'll try and do it with as much eloquence as I can. It's like that moment where you were like, oh, I was with him. So there's like that that kind of like gentleness of like, naruhodo. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, I see. It's no words to explain. Like, yeah. And then there's also that kind of like, wakata. <laughs> like, it's a bit more kind of like, woohoo, like, I got it. I get it, that kind of feeling. So this, like yeah. that thing. But then the, the word that really springs to mind is Satori and I, uh, think yeah, favorite ever words. And I wonder, like, you're, you, you, your, just to be clear here, um, Gretchen, now in your mid 40s, is that right? Yes, 45. Yeah. 45 has been living on a in, a, in a Zen Buddhist temple for the last 25 years where her husband is the priest and is part of an ancestral line that that yes. is in there. So she kind of joins that. So when we're talking about Buddhism and stuff like that, we're not doing like, I wear my mala beads and go right. to the beach, kind of Buddhism. And fine, if that's your gig, nice one. But um, <laughs> we're talking about somebody who's lived and breathed this for 25 years.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and i so, know uh, it's like wow <laughs>
0: and satori is that um as i understand it I'll, I'll say it in my kind of clumsy way first what what just happened to me there where i went <laughs> that's one of the ways that satori shows itself through the physiology yeah it, it can be like uh it, it, it i don't i can't remember what it is it's like a spiritual awakening or like where you get this kind of i imagine it's like stars around your head going or a light bulb comes up it's like mm-hmm. that light there's something light about it or illuminate yeah. I think you've already used the word illuminated today yeah. how would you describe satori um
1: yeah absolutely a lightness um an well, enlightenment right we have- ah, yeah enlightenment yeah, yeah that's, it. It that's
0: literal translation
1: that's a little translation but people sometimes particularly in the west become obsessed with I want to be enlightened or can I, I I'm like who cares don't worry about it <laughs> And we all at every moment have access to that. Yeah. And you never know when it's going to come. And it could be in a really simple, simple thing, or it could be something really profound, which was finally grieving 40 years later, the loss of a sibling, of a brother that you loved, you know? And so it just, it's, but it's there for us at any moment, but don't search for it. Don't look for it. You know, it'll come when you're present. So, um, and I, I have, yeah, we've, we've shared so many stories, but I'll just share one that would connect us to the temple Yeah, because all of these little crumbs were leading up to me finally sort of healing this loss. Right. And one thing that happened probably about six or seven years ago at the temple was during Obon. So Obon is the Buddhist, um, I guess you could say holiday in the summer where people go home And then they go to the temple and there's this belief that your ancestors are coming to visit you. That's the simplest thing. And then people come to the temple and open their each, um, you know, little butsudan that they have a small shrine at the temple. This is how we do it. There might be some differences depending on the sect. And I should say my husband's uh, family temple is Soto Shu. Say again. again. It's Soto, S-O-T-O. And then Shu just means sect. So it's, it's the lineage of Dogen. So Dogen went to China, brought back Zen. So Zen is not only in Japan. And then there are different Zen sects in Japan. Okay. Uh, so that's the lineage if someone's interested in it. And so Obon is a very, very important time for our temple and the community in Japan at large, right? And so as a temple family, we have to clean all of our ancestral tombs And it's always very, very hot and humid. So I never look forward to this. And I always felt, again, this sense of disconnection. Well, this isn't my heritage. And part of it was I was very intentionally being Careful not to just come here and jump on the bandwagon. Like I had to give myself time to understand what this tradition. I'm a Buddhist now. Exactly. Oh, and I have a really yeah. And um, I've had a satori, and now I'm a Buddhist. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And I, I should say, my husband nor his parents have ever once asked me if I'm Buddhist or want to become a Buddhist. They don't care. They don't. It's not about being a Buddhist. It's about practicing. Wow,
0: that's very Western style, isn't it? You must convert to my religion in order to, or not Western style. I don't know how to describe that, but that's like you have to convert in order to be
1: part. Oh, interesting. And isn't that beautiful? (laughs) Like I think here's Japan with all of its rules, right, and way of behaving, and they genuinely don't care if their daughter in mother is a Buddhist. I just love that. I just absolutely love that. And I would say almost, and it doesn't bother me, it doesn't offend me, there's nothing wrong with it, but my family and friends have all asked me, so are you Buddhist now? And I'm like, I don't know, maybe, maybe not. You know, I don't care. I have no need to be a Buddhist. I do practice Buddhism, but I don't need to be a Buddhist. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that I sort of got from how open-minded my in-laws and husband are about it, Mm -hmm. just because it doesn't even cross their radar to ask me. It's a non-issue. So back to Oban. So we were um, every August before Oban, we go and we have a big cemetery behind our temple and we live in a pretty rural area. So there's a beautiful forest back there. It's very nice. Step on a hill, you can look out at the water. Nevertheless, it's like brutally hot and we have to clean these very, very huge sort of cement tombstone so it's and you're brushing it and you're just drenched in sweat most people would just clean their family one but we have you know probably 15 because of all the priests who've been here before
0: right you have to to clean the the previous priests ones who have passed on and honor them so you're constantly mm -hmm. honoring the lineages okay yes
1: we have one whole section that would be the priests and then the families and it's only my husband's only the third generation of priests who can marry So before that, it wasn't allowed to be married. So there's one section that's just priests and then there's the the sections of um, my, well, the the grandma and grandpa of my husband. So who have passed on, who were temple, uh, who was a priest here. Nevertheless, uh, one of our members who is a married couple, they don't have children and they're getting older and they had asked I think they originally asked, Kenna, would you mind just washing the tomb for us? We're just getting too old and we don't have children to wash it. And I was there, I was standing there and they're like, Gretchen, would you mind doing that for me? And I didn't think much of it. I was like, okay, I- I'm going to be honest. I was a little bit not looking forward to it. I was like, oh my God, now I have to watch another tomb? Can I tell you, August in Japan,
0: <laughs> bonkers. Just imagine any oh. film you've seen about like, the tropics it's tropical you are sweating all day it's gross
1: it's so hard hard. yeah whatever you're imagining 10 times the humidity I get very very um, splotchy I get I get I mean there's a real fear of overheating so yeah I'm not looking forward to this I don't have a great attitude about it I've never enjoyed cleaning the tombstones and we were laughing because I was telling you this and I thought all my friends are taking vacations going to France posting about I'm like I'm literally cleaning tombstones in August like where did my summer vacation go yeah I mean I'm not thrilled so yeah. I go up and um we're all washing and I thought oh I'll go wash this um couple they're members of our temple I'll go wash their tombstone And this is a Satori moment. I, Because you can't explain it, there's no words, there's no thinking. When you're thinking you can't have Satori, I just started washing it. And then again, it's like an opening. It's like a splitting of the skies where I suddenly thought what an honor it is for me to be washing their tombstone. What a tremendous honor it is. And that's what we do for each other. We take care of one another right? And I felt such a profound connection to them as members, but also the ancestors of the temple, the people who built the temple, the people who lived in the community. And I sort of finally gave myself permission to belong to this community because I was the one sort of holding myself back a lot of times. You're looking to all these exterior things of, oh, they treat me this way, or I don't speak perfect Japanese. And I was sort of creating all these boundaries. And finally, through this very simple almost mundane gesture of washing something, I finally felt, oh, I could belong. And I also sort of knew, oh, they asked me and their asking was a gesture of, we're welcoming you, right? Oh, yeah. I, I, that's how I'm going to take it, right? Yes. You know, to feel like, oh, we're trusting Gretchen to wash something that's very, very sacred for us. And like I said, they don't have children. And I had this moment of like, this deep desire to just always watch over this. So now this is like my tombstone, I always wash, but also every member at our temple. I thought what an honor it is for me to sort of be able to care because the ancestral lineage is so important in Japan. And that was after living here for, you know, 12, 13 years. This was not a, a quick thing but finally i felt oh i can be part of this too and also it connects you to yeah the, the people we've lost i've lost grandparents i've lost as i mentioned my brother you just sort of open up to that sort of universal i don't want to say suffering as much as just we lose people lose people and we have to take care of one another and we have to sort of watch over one another
0: in the most simple way i would say the, yeah. same, the same lived experience that all of us has through grief through birth yeah yeah
1: and it's like I grew up on the east coast in a catholic faith and here I am and it doesn't matter like it, it, it doesn't matter this the universal truth is the same and I, I and again it's just it's a moment it's a clarity that comes through you and I looked up feeling like joy I was like you know, talk about like emanating joy. I was like, whoa, I look up and there are my kids running around, splashing each other with water, scrubbing like Hihi Obachan's tombstone. And I felt such joy and happiness in that moment of, wow, what a lovely life I'm leading, you know, to be here at this moment, experiencing this sense of connection and belonging. And yeah, that moment would have been a moment of Satori. And I think little moments like that led to me sort of finally getting to real healing about my brother. Mm. You know, it's all sort of connected. It sort of builds and leads.
0: Twice now you've mentioned a splitting.
1: Yeah. Mm. Mm. It's like a, there's a, a, for me, it's like an opening up. Mm -hmm. When you're fully present, whether it was like intentional or not, when you're just sort of in the moment, you're very present, something opens up to you that sort of transcends time or transcends language.
0: Mm. Mm. I just got two images there. One was like, you know, when thunder's right overhead, Mm -hmm. lightning's right overhead and it goes, (laughs) and you like, and you feel like you're going to split open. So there's that like it's inside your body but also a much gentler thing is like just before a seed and it just goes and it splits like that's what has to happen first and then some dirt is before the the cotyledons are able to come up above the thing some dirt has to be pushed out
1: yeah that's beautiful
0: and the other thing is like it's like it took me 13 years to get to this point it's like is that all into like the ancestral lineages and the things that we kind of inherit down the lines or from a biological perspective the DNA that we carry inside
1: us you know it's like is that all (laughs) absolutely and I would say that was sort of the beginning of me sort of saying you belong here too it's okay you can look for belonging it's okay so again those are beginning moments
0: So for some context here, Gretchen, for people who are listening, um, we're both foreigners in Japan, so we're very conspicuous. I'm a foreigner. I was a foreigner in Tokyo, and now I'm a foreigner in like an hour outside of Tokyo. So I'm still super conspicuous. Like I never go unnoticed,
1: ever. Hmm. How many foreigners are in your (laughs) Hmm. town? Well, there are some foreigners. They do tend to be other um, women from Asian countries. Right. And I, when I first moved here, one of our members had married a Filipino woman and she yes. had a child the same age as my son. So it was lovely. We would yes. go to parks together, go to the zoo. Yeah. And I remember complaining to her because I thought, oh, I'm so tired of people looking at me. This was, you know, you know those first few years. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot. It's hard and it wears you down. That's yeah. the other thing. It just sort of wears you down. And I should say that, you know, there's probably some English teachers, you know, always sprinkled around that come and go. And some of them I've become good friends with, but for the most part, there's, um, you know, very, very few foreigners and probably fewer Western foreigners. I don't know any other English speaking Western foreigner, but I was complaining to her about, oh, well, I sort of stand out and I'm tired of it. People look at me or my son, my oldest son is quite Western looking. Mm -hmm. And um, I was like, Sort of implying i might have even said it. i'm like well you're lucky because you look asian and your kids look asian yeah and she's like what she's like you're american and everybody looks up to americans yes. You're an and yes. i'm the filipino and she really put me in my spot and i'm forever grateful for that i'm forever yes. grateful for that because she was warm about it it wasn't mean and i learned so much from her. We're still exactly. good friends. Our sons have now gone on to, you know, they're both out of the house living their lives. But it was such an important moment for me to be like, oh yeah, people having different experiences in Japan. And what I was sort of wanting from her is that sort of anonymity, because it's uncomfortable for me. I'm going to tell you, like, it is uncomfortable to get the looks, to get the comments. Oh, I've
0: um, stayed and, indoors for for weeks at a time just because I didn't want to Yeah.
1: <laughs> but then I thought, oh, look at her feeling people are so dismissive of her and condescending and have sort of quite hurtful views about um, her as a Filipina. And so that was really helpful for me. And it sort of keeps me in check, you know, keeps me in check a little
0: bit. It is very important for us to note that white privilege does follow you around. It does. I mean, that's not somewhere we're gonna gonna visit today. We'll visit and just say that, but like, it sounds like she just, again, in that very kind of in it way, schooled you a little bit there on, on that.
1: And, and, you can a, tell and people, especially
0: for other Asian uh, people living in Japan, that can be a massive, um, a, a massive thing. Um, probably yeah. like people who are like from other European countries living in the UK,
1: mm. they get a bit
0: of that like as well.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah, to say the very least. Yeah.
1: But I will say on this topic, again, being mindful and practicing meditation sort of helps me um, because even though, she really did help it help me become a little bit more self-aware and sensitive of course i would still get very angry and get self-absorbed and lose myself and get uh, you know triggered a lot of times and then i remember about five years ago i went to sendai to um have like a fun shopping trip with my daughters And we went to a department store that was really nice. And I was trying to buy something. And then the sales clerk was just very uncomfortable around me, you know, just hyper uncomfortable. And, oh, do you speak Japanese? And I was trying to be reassuring. Yes, I speak Japanese. And then she would look to my daughter who was like 12. Oh, can your mommy read this? And I was, I could feel my blood boiling, right? You can just feel it coming out. And that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I was feeling it, but then I had this moment because mindfulness is sort of, practicing to be with whatever's present, right? Whatever emotion is there and just to be present with it and just to, to see it. So I was sort of seeing myself getting very triggered, quite irritated by all of this and um, sort of under the guise of, oh, she's humiliating me in front of my daughters. And then my reaction to her was very unskillful. That's yeah. a really great word in Buddhism. Just if you're acting bad, you're being unskillful, right? You don't have to take it personal. You're just being unskillful, and so I was sort of getting irritated. Like, yeah, I can speak Japanese, but then actually I didn't know the kanji or something, you know? <laughs> but, you know, so and then the humiliation and shame was coming up, and all these yeah, yeah. emotions. Yeah, and then I just sort of, for a moment, saw this woman, and I thought, oh, I'm her. Like her ignorance is my ignorance, Do you, right? Yeah, like. In America I'm part of the dominant culture right and how many times have I just not been aware of the person I was talking to unintentionally and suddenly I mean it literally was like stress falling off my shoulders like my jaw was relaxing and I thought I don't know her story maybe she had a difficult experience with the foreigner ones maybe she's from the rural countryside and just moved to the big city this is Sendai and this is her first experience and But also sort of being able to see my discomfort and all of these triggers going off, I was able to sort of see the experience a little bit more clearly and have compassion for her and find connection between us. Mm -hmm. And so it was sort of seeing, what am I not liking right now? And I'm using the word ignorance and I don't mean that in a rude way towards her, but just the non-knowing how to interact with a foreigner. And then you sort of say, well, where have I been ignorant in my life? where where is that showing up for me or where have I been ignorant um and just to sort of be more gentle with it and my whole like physical like disposition changed and I also realized in front of my children my children are looking to me how I'm acting they're not looking to her how she's acting yeah Right. So that whole notion of like, I can't really control how she's going to treat me. She's still uncomfortable around me, but I can act a little bit more pulled together and dignified and not come unhinged. I'm not saying it's not hard. It's hard. Sometimes it really is. I get worn down by it. But um, that was also one of those points where I thought, oh, we're sort of in this together. Her ignorance is my ignorance. I've been in her place. I'm sure I've hurt people's feelings unintentionally, particularly when I was part of the dominant culture. And now I'm not you um, know skilled yeah. yeah and it's just it's unskilled and we can sort of not take it personally and try to sort of look at ourselves sort instead of pointing fingers and sort of ideally sort of yeah. together try to awaken you know because yes. i would also think well if i'm kind and patient with her her next experience will be better with a foreigner Absolutely. She wasn't being mean or anything. No,
0: and also, really I mean, wasn't. it's really, there's also, I, I love this word, idea of splitting. So like, I always like to try and tease apart, like we can honor that part of us that feels really, really uncomfortable, mm-hmm. while at the same time honoring that part of her that feels uncomfortable. It's like, I tell the truth about my feelings. I don't have to pretend that I'm not feeling them, but also I don't have to play out of them and against the backdrop mm-hmm. of a kind of psychological background or psychotherapeutic background. Um, and I'm unskilled in this, by the way, what we're talking about is codependence. Yeah. And so if her behave, if, if your state of mind and your emotional state is, is dependent on her treating you a certain way that you've conjured in your mind or not, that's codependence. And that ability to kind of unplug from that means that you can then just both, be and 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 now we're back into the kind of mindfulness talk uh Mm -hmm. mindfulness backdrop is like that you can just allow to your yours was practicing being with whatever's presence that's your words and um um you know I'm a mindfulness amateur so but so I'm using your words I just love that and it's interesting because one of my coaches said to one of my coaches said to me earlier you know I'm you, you know I moved to the seaside and I was just really keen to kind of get to know everybody here and to become part of the community and blah 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 and I I said like I've started to get a little bit twitchy about like do the shopkeepers own me and she just went Sarah that's codependence and I was like oh shit you're right all these years all this coaching and I'm like and I'm literally like placing my value and my mood on how the person in the coffee shop treats me that day Mm -hmm. scanning all the while for reasons why aged 49 by the way you know it's like what planet am I on and I just loved that I love that she called me out because she she doesn't have codependence she Mm -hmm. she didn't have any codependence on trying to make me feel better in that moment Mm. she just called it and I was like yeah, and I think this is really important for us to to acknowledge how hard it can be to stick out all the time, which then mm-hmm. means that we can have compassion for the people in our own countries who stick out all the Absolutely. time and what that means. But all, not only that, but also um, just be like, it it is going to, oh, if I go out to this particular party tonight, I'm going to have to answer the same. I'll say, yeah, I've been in Japan for 20 years, but we'll still be talking about the things that I was talking about 20 years ago. And that's okay. But I'm going to be tired afterwards and I might want to call my best mate or text my girls from home or something where I can just kind of plug back into the reality that I feel. Okay. Yeah,
1: yeah. And this is one of those annoying buzzwords, but it is just self-care. It's like, yes. right? It's like, well, what can yes. kind of- you just sort of Ease that because it is hard. It gets old. So go home for me. It's like read a book. I have a little nook that I sit in, Uh and you you can just feel it washing over you. Like this is my little refuge, and I can sit here and be okay. And then I can battle the world again tomorrow. Yeah. You know, and we fall down. Like we recognize our codependencies, and then we just sort of brush ourselves off and try better the next. Exactly. It's just it's just kind of tiring, right? That that's it. It's not like
0: I'm going to get. shot or something frankly right. speaking and i don't mean to make light of that or to be like uh, um 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 to to, to just be um i can't think of the word uh,
1: dismissive?
0: dismissive or um no the word's gone but okay. like just to be kind of um yeah <laughs> to make light of it at mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. okay so <clears throat> there was another thing that i just wanted to touch on here from that 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 i thought was a lovely thing that another thing that i think if I remember rightly, prompted your connection back to Chris was um, an image, and I've actually drawn it here, which is that of you were walking behind your kids or yes. driving past your kids, and you saw your son, mm-hmm. who's a similar gap between you and Chris, holding your daughter's hand and walking along the street. Can you just describe yeah. if, if you're able to describe that? That I would love that.
1: No, I'm happy to, and it was that was a really pivotal moment for me. So like I said I I really hadn't thought about my brother. I didn't talk about him. I couldn't talk about him to be totally honest. And here I am raising children, you know. And of course as a parent you sort of see yourself. You know, you're you're growing up with your children. Yeah. And I can't believe it. I had never really put it together but my oldest brother, I mean my oldest son and my youngest daughter are the same age difference between me and Chris so I have four children and um well I guess when Kai was 11 Sophia my youngest was born but then depending on the year you know 11 or 12 years difference and my son went to high school in America so I had actually taken all four kids to America for a year to study and then he said you know what I think I'm going to stay I really like it he was clicking with just sort of how the schools run how people interact and he was actually born in America but um, spent most of his life in Japan so he ended up staying in Japan and that was really hard for me I'm not gonna lie like every time I saw a kid like in a uniform pass me I was like <laughs> like his age range like it was so hard because he's on the other side of the world and um, but of course I wanted him to have this opportunity and then Sophia was little like three or four right and then when she was five he was coming home. so he'll come home every summer right so he he
0: helped. stay in the U.S.
1: So he lives in America, he was yeah. going to high school and then he would come home for the summers. Okay. And so Sophia is now five. So he's been gone a few years now and, or a couple of years and all year she would be like, I can't wait for Kai to come home. And, you know, we would FaceTime him and she was just like, tell little funny stories about Kai. And just, she was the most excited for him to come home. And he's 17 now. Now I'm starting, uh, his birthday's in May. So he turned 17 and then he came home that June or July. And again, me being very cut off from that emotional pain, I wasn't really putting it together, but I was sort of starting to feel all this energy around like, okay, in retrospect, my son is 17. That's when my brother died. Like, I just wanted to get over it. I remember feeling like I just can't wait till he's 18. I need to get through this hell year because there's a lot of fear. And in America, people drive and he's driving. And of course I wasn't dealing with that. Yeah. It was all quite repressed. But anyway, so my daughter can't wait for him to come home. So he does. He comes home. And like the next day, they have this little festival, those little matsuris, you know, at the school. And she's like, you have to come with me, Kai. Please come with me. He's like, okay, I'll come with you. And so she was wearing her little yukata. And I live, like I said, in the rural side. And her little kindergarten is next to this massive, open, wide rice field. It's really beautiful. And we're walking. And they're walking in front of me and he's holding her hand and it just again there's no words to really describe it but i used to be afraid that like i wasn't like i didn't have a real relationship with my brother or you know what i mean because again i was too young or there wasn't a bond like was there a bond was there real love was there real affection did we know each other did we laugh together it's that oh it's just a big huge second arrow and it's like yeah and all of that real fear real fear of something that i so desperately wanted was that real you know all this stuff and seeing them together and also just how much sophia missed him as a little girl three four five how much she missed him and what a real relationship they had and how much he loved her like just real love, real affection. That's his little baby sister. And then they're holding hands. And then later he put her up on his shoulder. I mean, there was so much affection. And again, another one of these like splitting open moments. And actually, Sarah, that was a very, very, very profound moment for me. I mean, I almost felt like I was levitating and I felt my brother's presence. It was like, oh, Chris is behind this 100%. This is Chris. I mean, and it felt light and it felt like, time doesn't exist right now and somewhere his energies in the universe guiding me to this place Mm -hmm. it was so loving and so comforting and that was the beginning of my healing process so again it's always like the beginning it's not the end it was like okay yes I can do this and I remember thinking wow I can still have a relationship with my brother being dead does not mean you can't have a relationship with somebody. And I had just pushed all of that to the side. And so I, I told my kids this story and I thought you guys have brought me to this place. Mm. Right. I, and so, you know, I'm a mother of four, I love being a mother in many, many, many ways. They've helped me become who I am, but I thought you, you brought me here, you know, and I was ready to see it. Maybe there was a thousand signs. My brother <laughs> had been me that I had missed. Right. But at this time, I was finally open to it. I was finally willing to sort of soften that um, part of me that could see it. And it was so healing. It was so healing and so lovely to see their bond. And then I, I really felt like I was looking at my brother and myself. That's yeah. what I really, and it felt that way. And it was funny because I was in this like Matsuri, just like, like I literally was just probably standing there, like <sighs> soaking it up. But it wasn't like a flood of emotions. It was really transcending that it was like, wow wow you know I mean for a few months I was like wow you know like wow, <laughs> that's this is quite remarkable what I experienced and I was able to share it with my children and I was able to share it with my husband and then later I shared it with my parents and my sisters and it was just such a joyful thing for me
0: amazing yeah. and like that was another one of those moments that led you to really opening the the gates to quite a fast and rapid path to um, talking about Chris like this, now yeah. i know sure you would have had access to this wow. amount of ability to talk, skill to uh, talk about him at that point. Um, I feel like we need to do a part two, because <laughs> there's no possible way of getting to how you met your husband and what oh, that, right. that whole story, that's a whole thing in itself, because that's such a fun kind of comedic story that like, I, I just think it's like, it's one of, I, I say this quite often, if I presented just one year of one of my clients or friends or interviewee stories to Hollywood and said, here's a movie, they'd go, I'm sorry, that's a bit far-fetched. Right. <laughs> down, nobody's going to believe that. And it's just like, so, so that I think, I think we will, we're going to have to do a part two, but just to close up today, because we've talked about Chris so much and this, mm-hmm. I'm going to dedicate this episode to Chris and his Thank memory, and a lovely family as well, who, you know, just were doing their best. I, I and, I'm interested to fast forward right up until now mm-hmm. when you've just um um you've just been back to America in the middle of COVID to help mm-hmm. your mum out and uh without going into detail I know there was an incident where you just were asking for like how do I deal with this mm-hmm. again it's like we, sometimes when we get up in other people's business but it's very means a lot to us so what no detail because that's about mm-hmm. somebody else but like Something happened then, didn't you? Kind of go for a drive and visit. So can you just talk about that? And then we'll kind of close out because I think this is a beautiful way again, that you kind of uh, putting together the puzzle of Chris in your way and these rituals and all the things that we kind of been talking about.
1: Yeah, I appreciate the invitation to talk about it. Um, Well, I was back in my hometown Um, pretty much I tease I was just feeding my mother she had had she has lung cancer and she had surgery and she just lost a lot of weight and she just sort of needed to get back to a a healthy state so I went to care for her and yes
0: just stop I just want to just want to be really clear for the listeners here what Gretchen is saying here in the middle of COVID when you're not supposed to travel she left her family Mm. her three kids um, right at the temple to go and care for her mom for three months this is huge this is such a an uh, an unusual and incredible thing to do so I just also want to honor that while we're talking about it, because otherwise it just sounds like you just went up the road to feed your mom if we're not consciously saying that's what happened you yeah. t- you went through a lot of hoops to do this took a lot of risk and had to uh, you know it's an admirable and a big thing to do so there's that yeah. all right let's jump back into the story
1: yeah so I was there and the first month um yeah, it was, there were elements that were stressful, right? There's, you're sort of figuring things out. Yeah. Uh, well, there's sort of two parts to this story. One part, I think I told you, and I, my mother and I were, oh, I thought I'm going to paint some rooms. I'm going to sort of spiff up a, a couple of rooms. And actually I wanted to paint the room my son had been using, but I'd never painted before. So I was like, mom, I don't really know how to paint. Maybe we should hire somebody. So she called, Paint literally opened up the Yellow Pages, biggest ad, she called him, she called him. And he's talking and everything, or, you know, they're talking. And he's like, wait, are you Chris's mom? And she's like, yeah, I'm Chris's mom. And he's like, you probably don't remember me, but I played Pop Warner football. We went to different high schools, but I, I I knew Chris and we played football together probably when they were like 12. And mom's like, oh, that's great. He's like, no, no, this is crazy. He's like, I went up to visit my mom who lives in Vermont now. And I forgot my coat. So she's like, go grab a coat that she had had, you know, for 20, 30 years in the garage or something. It was his old coat from when he, no, this guy, Ray, he went, put on his old coat from his mom's house in the pocket was a newspaper article of him and Chris playing football together. You know, one of those local like photos of, you know, Pop Warner football, you know, Chris and the two of them were in the article the name and a photo. And he was like, I was just thinking about Chris. And it would, had just been like that weekend. He's like, I just can't believe you called me. This is so cool. And then he started to tell my mother just what a cool guy Chris was and how much fun they had together. And my mom, you know, hung up and she, now she lives in the town. So maybe cause I live so far away. Don't you love connections like that? You know, yeah, we- Yeah, of course. I mean, <laughs> yeah, like, I always tease my husband. I'm like, I never bump into old kindergarten friends. You know, it's like you're here just sort of floating around because you don't have the roots. Now we make the roots, but we don't have the roots. Yeah. So I don't know if it's just my deep appreciation for connections like that because I live so far away, but I was like, Mom, that's amazing. And she was like, Oh, yeah, that's cool. I'm like, No, it's amazing. It's amazing. And then I did, I said, Let it be huge. Let yes. it be magical. Like, yes. let's just joyfully rejoice that you had this lovely conversation. With the painter Ray, you know what I mean? Who loved Chris and remembered Chris and had fun playing football. And you had this thing. And then she did. She just, her whole face brightened up. And then she ended up telling my sisters. And it just became this fun story we were telling each other and was so lovely. And again, we can miss those opportunities. Yeah. We miss them. We can say, oh, it's not a big deal. Who cares? You know, but it's, it, it is a big deal. Yeah, and yeah. that happened. And then that Saturday, I was just really struggling with something going on, like medically feeling quite conflicted that just, you know, there's that restlessness. I didn't know what to do. And I was like, mm. and it's COVID. So you can't do too much, but there was a farmer's market. So I get in the car, I thought, I'll just go over to the farmer's market and get some stuff. And I'm driving there. And something was like, no, no, you don't want to go to the farmer's market. And I just was like driving, where am I going? And I drove to my brother's grave. To the cemetery and I got out and I know where it is it's all sort of like you know it's in your body muscle you know yeah. it is it is it's yeah. muscle memory I go there and I should say the tombstone of my brother is really beautiful I'm gonna might not get it verbatim but my parents wrote and this is a real tribute to them as amazing humans they said let us not grieve that he was taken from us but rejoice that he was given to us and I thought what parent could write that within you know, a week of their son dying? So that is a real tribute to their strength and their belief, right? And again, I never really appreciated that until I was a parent. That didn't really make sense to me until I was a parent. But anyways, I went and I just, I actually lied down and probably sat there for an hour and a half looking up at the trees. It's a beautiful September morning, you know, the leaves are sort of rustling in the wind. And I was like, I don't know, just a tremendous peace came over me. And I remember like thanking the tree for watching over my brother, because it's this just this beautiful tree that sort of goes over and just lying there. And so much of whatever I had been struggling with, whatever it was just started to dissolve, you know? Um, and it just brought me so much peace and so much comfort in that moment. And part of that, I, I know for a fact he was on my mind because of that phone call my mom had had. So again, it's sort of piecing all of these little things together. And I would say I had a lovely, lovely time being there with my mother. Yeah. It meant a lot to me. Yeah. And that thing I had been struggling with, had I not been able to sort of work through it, I think it would have prevented me from really, really being present with my mother. So that day, I had that opportunity just to sort of um, let it go a little bit, be present with it and let it go. Yeah. And I do feel like that was painter Ray and my brother's doing, you know what I mean? <laughs> Shout out to painter Ray. <laughs> well, and I should say, I ended up painting the rooms because my mom and I are cheap. We're like, we can do it ourselves. So poor him. We were, and he said he was so busy because of COVID. Everyone's redoing their houses. And yeah, because they're, they're like, whoa, this place looks like shit. Yeah, exactly. So he was fine, but um I ended up painting it, but I thought, oh, I love stories like that. I and love when you like, welcome them and let them into your life. Yeah.
0: And actually the group that we're both members of, like mm-hmm. let it be huge, has become our slogan now because you know, we're very careful, you and I are very careful not to be drawn down some kind of magical thinking as in yeah. bullshit. Yes, yes. Like, we're very careful to remain ethical within the bounds of the things that we know and, and know to be true. Um, on the other hand, we also love these stories of coincidence and breadcrumbs and lineups and those things that make you feel that, like, splitting or the satori or the, like, yeah. those feelings of just, like, levitating or whatever it is. And so we just say, let it be huge. Let it be, we be huge. We don't question it too much, just let yes, it be huge. Yes. And then all these things start surfacing Mm -hmm. with that like in and in the group that we're both members of then the group starts surfacing things because we allow it to be huge so -hmm. we don't need to believe in anything we don't need to believe in heaven and hell we don't need to believe in anything supernatural we just say let it be huge (laughs) let it be magical let it let it mean something just just how about that Mm. (laughs) and I love that And I think this is a beautiful place to just kind of um wrap up actually Gretchen on this this particular call which has been so focused on death and grief and um but in the most joyful and yes. huge way and in and you've very kindly taken us through your whole process actually of of like from from that childhood thing it's it's like it's like a lo- you've taken us through a whole life and we didn't i mean we, neither of us know what the first 17 years of chris's life were and who he what he but we just know that your five years of him and how that was reflected in your observation of your children and mm-hmm. how huge that is. And, you know, it's nice that we're able to weave together like psychology and mm-hmm. the supernatural and the magical and Buddhism and Catholicism and foreign being a foreigner and living in this wonderful country that we both love so mm-hmm. much and that we both have you know understand we're getting even through all this work that we do together we get a greater understanding of who we are here absolutely without needing that codependence to plug in to be we're accepted as we're accepted and that's that and um and it's a I don't know it's it's let it be huge. and I've really loved this, and I hope that people are able to take heart from some of this um, conversation and 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 introduce more perhaps ritual or um, marking of things into their own grief journeys or life journeys as well, you know, anything that's been kind of lost or washed away in the loss of religion as as is. Hmm. how can we kind of bring that back in and incorporate it into our lives in a way that we can process our physiological grief and our psychological grief in a way that is held by many people and in, in the community and so on I and mean, there's so many more things I'd love to touch on but I think we should do a part two and then we can talk about temple life and how okay you husband and and the visits that he does and all that kind of stuff I would love to do that if you're up for it
1: oh yeah I mean this is such fertile ground and I would yeah. love to keep talking so thank you this has been so fun though Cheers. just to sort of let it organically it's unfold it's
0: amazing and... it's like it's like somebody's spying on us talking <laughs> yeah exactly
1: <laughs> I feel like this is just you and I talking like we don't yeah, know right, so this just... conversation
0: should feel like this yeah. is, this is just about people's Um, you know the many ways to lead a life you want to just grab my tagline and like how everybody has stories and there's so many similarities and so many differences and so many different ways to do it with that is there any parting words
1: that you have for people who are listening Gretchen oh well that's I I didn't think of anything but if we're going to just talk about grief I would just sort of say if you have some unresolved grief you know that it's okay, like, you know, work your way slowly towards healing it. And it's amazing for me, the joy that's come from that, like we were just saying, like, I was so afraid it was going to be this dark plodding through. But when I finally started to really sit with my grief and really be with it, what's come from it is a deep sense of connection, a deep sense of belonging, and knowing, and joy. So it's just been really lovely for me.
0: I love that love that and I'm just like I love the second arrow thing because it actually gives a, a physical manifestation of that yeah. group, uh, or that the second wave that that well, the, the suffering, suffering the yeah. suffering and you can even like from a systems coaching perspective is actually say this is the second arrow put it yes. out in front and have a conversation with it and try it out in different places mm-hmm. and put it at all, all kinds of different techniques that one can have well,
1: conversation end- go on Not to go on and on, but it's like, what is not serving you anymore? Let it go, which is the second arrow. And you have complete authority over that. So this story I'd been telling me myself, that was so painful and hurtful, one of disconnection and not belonging to my brother or not, you know, that wasn't even true. And again, so we'll talk more, but it's just very we'll liberating. More, oh my God! And very I'm, liberating. I'm really, really <laughs> offering to
0: an even more Japanese yeah. ritual now, where we get the arrows at the end of the year, and then the following we year. You, so burn you, them. There's, there's an animal when we burn and, and them. You go and you take it to the temple. You burn that arrow, yeah. and then so there's just this it, constant sense of of renewal and, know. and destruction and. Wow. I mean, I, I'm uh, a few pennies are dropping for me right now. I've got FBGs right now. It's like, it's, it's nonstop. I mean, you can read, you know, you can read your books about stuff and you can right. listen to the podcasts and you can have these conversations, but then sometimes that who's Satori, I
1: suppose, like that is. kind it's of like moment. mini Satori's, mini Satori's. But that's all there is. That's all there is. Uh, like there is no constant state of Satori. Uh, so it's all there is, is this moment. And if this moment brings you that Satori or enlightenment, then that's that moment. I feel quite flushed. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I'm proud of myself for having many moments. <laughs> oh, we're funny things, humans, aren't we? Gretchen, thank you. That's been absolutely brilliant. And I really hope it's brought heart to people. Um, I will drop into the comments um, about um, the, the book I mentioned, Grief Works by Julia Samuel. I'll also drop in the poets that you mentioned as well. And um, where can people find you, um, Gretchen?
1: Well, I for my temple, mm-hmm. uh, the name of our temple is Dairuji, which means big dragon. And I have an Instagram page. So if you could put that in the show notes. Sure that would probably be the best um that's probably the best place to find me if you're What's interested
0: your about... page, that
1: name it's oh Daiduji, i think underbar oga okay yeah it's, um, yeah i'll
0: drop it into the show notes open, it's yeah. hard to...
1: and that i do talk a lot about the rituals at our temple yeah um which we haven't even really dived into which is so that's lovely but also mindfulness and yeah. zen yeah um and a little bit about our family life or things like that, a little bit. So that's if you're interested in these type of conversations, that's the best place. I also have a website, the same name, Dairuji, then it's just a dash, Olga.com. And there you can find more about the history of our temple, a little bit more about my husband, about the events we run. Um, that's also a lovely resource. That's just a website as well.
0: It's so beautiful, too. And I also just want to do a little um, shout-out to Sora Bento. Thank you. Your, um, cloth, um, yeah, things from beautiful cloth thing. And, you know, Gretchen was very, very kind in sending all my... Um, all the group were part are members of uh, masks yeah beautifully made masks out of lovely fabrics but she also makes like um, lunchbox covers and all kinds of different and um what we call furoshiki which is like the squares of fabric that people use in japan to um tie things up and carry things um and so i would highly recommend going there and ordering some beautiful face masks from her and um that's that's all i that's all i have to say thank you so much for sharing your way that to lead your life i cannot wait to start talking about the up-to-date stuff and the the, the temple life and so on and um thank you very much for telling us your story oh,
1: thank you sarah you have a really beautiful way of creating and holding space so people can really open up so thank you for that thank you thank you thank you
0: so much for listening to this latest legend on the sarah ferruya legends podcast hop over to sarahferruya.com where you can find the full complement of uh, legends interviews and conversations also you can like and subscribe over on itunes or wherever you find your podcasts i absolutely love these interviews and these conversations i have with these people i don't care about subscribers if i'm absolutely honest it just helps to get more people over to listen to these fantastic people. I cannot wait for my next interview. I really hope you can get stuck in and find some juice and some delightful little nugget of knowledge or encouragement from these that will help you to create your story and to take your story forward and to weave and dream up and high dream your own story. Buoyed up by the stories of these people. I would call them ordinary. They're not but these people, these beautiful legends who I've selected to help you on your way and to help me on my way. So please enjoy, share, subscribe. My Facebook page is Sarah Furuya Coaching. My Instagram page is at Sarah Furuya Coaching too. So get into it. Thanks. Bye.